Before we get started, um, I'll tell you where we're going to be. Uh, we're in one verse, and we are in Song of Solomon this morning. Um, Song, Song of Solomon, uh, or Song of Songs, depending on your Bible. Um, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. But before we get there, and while you're flipping through there, I just want to mention uh, this before we get started. Now, um, you may not know what this is, because you know, you're sitting far away, and I'm springing this on you. But this is a, a small Bible. It's an itty-bitty Bible. Actually, it's not a whole Bible. It's just the Gospel of John. And um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, uh, Donna Lillian brought one of these back from one of the churches they were ministering at on the north side. And they, thought, and they said, wouldn't it be great if uh, we could get some of these to actually just distribute to people, uh, to, to share the Gospel with people? Um, and we thought, that's a great idea. So... Uh, what we're going to do is, hopefully this week, we'll be getting about 200 of these little Gospel of Johns. They're beautifully printed. Um, <clears throat> they don't have chapters and verses. They're actually just laid out like a story. They're laid out like a, like a novel in, in, in that way. But it's the Gospel of John, um, laid out in an easy-to-read format for people. And so oftentimes we can be uh, maybe intimidated to evangelize or maybe not know the right words to say. Um, but in this particular instance, especially leading up towards Christmas, you know, one of those times in our calendar where people are more receptive perhaps to just hearing the story of Jesus, you can put the story of Jesus in their hands. They can hear the gospel, the very proclamation and announcement of how Jesus came, God in the flesh, became king by dying on the cross for our sins and for our salvation. And so um, I want to encourage you I want to encourage you, hopefully we'll have about 200 next week, I want to encourage you to come and to prayerfully consider maybe two or three people in your world or in your life that the Lord would have you share one of these with. You can take them free of charge, um, please only take as many as, uh, as you're actually going to hand out, and we'll put this into people's lives, and <clears throat> if you've been around church circles long enough, you will know uh, the amount of testimonies and stories of people coming to faith simply because they got to read God's Word. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Very cool. So I trust, I trust you are in Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, and you are at verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15 for us, and then we're going to jump into it. So it says this, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. That's it. That's the verse. Now, that doesn't have a whole lot to go off for us. That's not something that's often preached in church. Um, it's not some of Paul's famous words. It's a book that's sort of, it, it's a verse that's situated in the Old Testament, probably in a book you probably don't spend too much time in, especially if you're a man. You know, you, you <laughs> there's lots of really lovey-dovey language. It's like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Um, <clears throat> But this is situated in, the, in the, the book of Song of Solomon. And so within the context of our book here, the Song of Solomon is, is, is a song that's written between Solomon and his bride, or one of his brides, the, the woman who's only identified as the Shulamite woman or the daughter of Jerusalem. And it's this love song that we have in our Bibles. It's, it's, in order, um, uh, it's a song that is filled with metaphors and similes, which are meant to unfold and articulate the love and passion between Solomon and his bride. You know, Solomon really, he, he, he really uh, doesn't hold back with the things he, the beautiful things he says about his bride. For instance, in chapter 4, um, he says that her hair is like a flock of goats. Ladies, get yourself a man who thinks your hair looks like a flock of goats. 
You know, he goes on to say, her teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep. Mmm, fuzzy, fuzzy. <laughs> you know, he goes on to say that, that her brow, her cheeks are like pomegranates. She's got a face like a pomegranate, you know. Solomon had a lot of power, a lot of wealth, so he wasn't necessarily away, had a way with words. He didn't need those in order to, for women to fall in love with him. <laughs> so, um, but... Obviously, obviously, it's couched in the time, and I'm sure that was a lovely thing to say about a woman in those days. Um, single men here, don't, don't use this. Um, <clears throat> I like to privately sometimes give you guys bad advice just to stitch you up, but don't, just don't do this. Um, <clears throat> so why is this in our Bible? Why is this in our scriptures? Is this just some, you know, some great song, some banging hit from the ancient world that, that the ancients are like, you know what, we need this, so that the future needs this song for all time, you know, this is the Abba of the ancient world, you know, no, no. The, the reason why this is in our scriptures is because for many, for many years now, for many centuries, since, since the time this was inscribed, the oral tradition was written down, and the, the, the people of the Lord listened to this song. They saw in it not just a, a song of love between Solomon and his bride, but they saw a song of love and affection between God and his people. And they saw all these, these uh, analogies and these metaphors and these allegories of love and affection and intimacy between God and his people. And so in our, in our, in our scripture here this morning, in Second Solomon, uh, sorry, Solomon 2 verse 15, it has this weird statement which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. And so this morning we're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack what that means for us as God's people today, for whom a lot of the analogies and metaphors are kind of lost on us. You probably, man, you probably didn't marry your wives because she looked like a goat, right? You probably weren't doing that. So it's a metaphor that is often lost on us. But let's begin. Let's begin by asking ourselves the question, what is the vineyard? What is the vineyard that is being talked about here? What's the analogy? What's the metaphor that's trying to be brought Forward here. Well, this is not the first time um, that the idea of a vineyard has been used in the scriptures. <clears throat> this analogy is used in scripture all the time. God plants Adam and Eve in a garden. It's a similar sort of idea. He plants them in a garden and desires to, to co-labor with them, to cause this garden to flourish and to thrive and to, to expand uh, throughout the earth. Um, in Isaiah, Isaiah will often talk about Israel, God's people being the Lord's vineyard, the, the, the people whom he plants and, and tends and cultivates with. Um, John 15 himself will talk about him, uh, Jesus will talk about himself being the vine. He'll talk about himself being the vine, saying, you know, you need to abide in me. And if you don't abide in me, the vine, you won't bear fruit um, all sorts of agricultural references that are used here. But in this particular context, in this particular setting, what the vineyard is, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the growing love and relationship that exists between the bride and the groom. It's a symbol of a growing relationship that exists between the bride and the groom. This is something that they tend together. This is something that they care for together. It belongs to both of them, and the fruit of this vineyard 
it, it, and the fruit that comes from this vineyard comes from the overflow and the goodness of the relationship itself. That's the symbol. That's the idea that's being, that's being brought forward here. So if you want to perceive the essence of this analogy, that this vineyard and the vines that are in it are the result of the intentional cultivation on behalf of the groom and the bride for the purposes, for, and for our purposes, and understanding the vineyard we're talking about this morning is that our relationship with the Lord and the garden of our hearts. The garden of our hearts. So if that's what the vineyard is, what then are the foxes? What then are the foxes? The foxes are anything that diminishes detracts from or despoils our relationship with Jesus. You see, what used to happen um, in the ancient world is, is you know, you'd plant a vineyard, and, and, and just like any garden, really, if you simply leave the garden untended, you'll get pests, you'll get rodents, you'll get rabbits, you'll get bugs you, that, that will come in and begin to eat the leaves or eat the stalks or, 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 or steal the fruit and these sorts of things. And it was the same thing in the ancient world with vineyards. You would have little foxes, you had foxes who would come into the vineyards and they would steal the fruit. They would steal the fruit before it could get ripened and, it, and then they would chew on the vine and it, and, and it would actually ruin the plant itself so that it, it would die and it couldn't bear fruit. And so in this analogy, in our understanding of this, the foxes are anything that diminishes, detracts, or despoils our relationship with Jesus. Now that's a broad definition. That's a broad definition. And it's meant to be intentionally broad. Because Jesus will talk about the way of life. And he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are those who will find it. So this morning, I feel like we need to highlight some of what these foxes are. What some of these foxes are. You see, we come to Jesus freely by His grace. He demonstrates that in the cross. You know, like we're not saying at all this morning that you need to work your way into God's good books. We're not saying in any way that you need to strive or strain for God to be pleased with you, for God to love you, for God to, to, to welcome you into his family. That is all a free gift of grace to actually enter into that relationship with him. He's done everything required for that at the cross. Everything necessary for life and relationship with him at the cross. But for those of you who've walked with Jesus for a while, you'll know and understand there are times and seasons when your relationship with the Lord is not as good as it could be. And you'll also understand that those times when your relationship is not as good with the Lord as it could be, when your heart has grown a little bit cold, there's that distance between you and the Lord. There's that distance. Our relationship with God is not simply a binary. It's it's. It's almost like a, it can be perceived sometimes as like a sliding scale. Like in, there's times when I feel so close to God. And then there's other times when, God, are, are you there? I don't feel you. I, you know, my, my, my heart is hard. It's cold. I don't, I, what's going on? This is what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about the free gift of grace. This morning, if you don't know Jesus... If he is not your savior, I want to I welcome you and invite you to actually embrace him. 
Paul will talk about in the book of Romans. He says he demonstrates his love for us in this. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against him, he died for us. He died for you. If there was ever any question in your mind about God's disposition, about God's intentions and feelings towards you, you have no need to look any further than the cross and see his arms spread open wide, shedding his blood on the cross for you. But this morning we're talking about our ongoing relationship because God doesn't just want to simply save us in that initial moment. He wants to bring us and give us life and life to the full. He wants to to bring us into a place of fruitfulness. He wants to bring us into a place of flourishing as human beings in this world. And in order for that to happen, we need to walk in ongoing relationship with Him. Amen? So there's things in this life and there's things in this world that threaten that relationship. That threaten that closeness. And I believe they're called foxes here. So for the sake of simplicity and helping us to retain some categories, I've, I've got three categories of foxes. Three different types of foxes here this morning that we are going to, to look at. The first one is this, Time Foxes. When I wrote that, it felt like I was naming a video game. Time Fox. (laughs) But Time Foxes, these are foxes that take our time and our attention. So, they can look like this. Uh, Worry, anger, and anxiety. It's a hell of a Time Fox. While it's not a sin to necessarily experience these things, it's what you do with them that matters. These foxes have the ability to get you so fixated on problems that you forget to look to the Lord, and they steal valuable time away from you. I'm sure many of you have experienced that before. Something happens in your world, and before you even have a chance to go back to the Lord about it, to, to, to see what He thinks about this, or, 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 or to cast your cares and your worries on Him. Immediately you're caught up in anxiety. Immediately you're caught up in worry. And you're so fixated on this problem, so fixated on this problem, you can't even see what God is doing all around you to bring a resolution to that problem. The, the analogy that came to mind is, is this old saying, is like, you know, worry is a lot like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. The second time fox is this, busyness. Busyness, and I put in social media for the, for the hip cats like me who use social media. Being busy and having your focus and attention always sucked into other activities drags you away from your relationship with the Lord. This also applies to things like social media, which hijack your dopamine system and cause addiction to your device. Um, Time on social media is rarely, if ever, quality time in any sense. And if the devil can't get you to sin, he may as well just make you busy. Some of you are very busy people. Some of you work very hard. And there's not necessarily anything intrinsically wrong with that. this This is why this requires wisdom. This is why this requires us... To walk with the Lord so that he can say this thing but not this thing. God will sometimes ask you to do hard things. Sometimes he'll ask you to have a really full and busy season. But sometimes we 
replace our relationship with the Lord with busyness. We replace our relationship with the Lord with busyness. We fill our time, we fill our minds with anything but Him. And in doing so, it steals away that closeness. It steals away that intimacy with the Lord. The third time, Fox, I have here is people who steal your time. People who steal your time. This is a challenging one because when we, when we begin to learn about God's heart for people, I know, I know this has been a challenge for me, when we begin to learn God's heart for people, we want to give people time. We want to give people care and attention, and we want to afford them a, a, a wide latitude, a wide bandwidth of how they can actually approach us and, 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 and even being willing to be used by people for the sake of loving them. We want to do that. But the reality is there are some people in your life who are just there to take up your time. They are just there to steal your time away from you. Um, <clears throat> But there's wisdom in knowing how and who to spend your time with. There will be people who simply want to take up your time that you need to set boundaries with. There will be people in your life who produce fear, anger, worry, anxiety in your heart. You know, there's those kinds of people. They always, they, it, it, it can go either one or two ways. Either they're always bringing their problems to you and making it your responsibility. Or... Or they're the type of people who heap burdens on you, causing fear and anxiety. They, they cause you to feel threatened. They cause you to feel anxious. You, you, you know, these, these kind of people. <clears throat> I would suggest finding ways to put up boundaries and walls between yourself and those people so that you can guard your own heart. The garden of your heart can't possibly be growing in fruitfulness if you are constantly letting people in to steal your hope, steal your joy, and steal your peace. Second category are affection foxes, foxes that take our hearts. The first one is money. The love of money, the scripture says, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money and wealth has the ability to deceive and steal your affection away from Jesus. We talk about in the scriptures how you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one, hate the other, serve one, and despise the other. If money is your love, if money is stolen your heart, then you're going to be getting very angry with the Lord. And you're not going to want to deal with the Lord. You're not going to want to go to the Lord when He constantly tells you to be free with your money towards those who have need. The second one is glory, achievement, status. When we find our identity in our own glory and achievements and status, it steals away from the type of relationship we're supposed to have with the Lord. One of the ways to identify this fox is this. If you find yourself saying or thinking or feeling, once I get X, Y, Z, I'll be happy. Or then I'll be content. And you can fill X, Y, Z with whatever you want. Maybe it's, maybe it's a promotion at work. Maybe it's, you know, you've been working really hard at your degree. And like, well, once I get that accreditation, then I'll be at peace. Or once I ha hit that savings goal, or once I get this much money, then I'll be at rest. I don't have to work so hard anymore. All those things in and of themselves are not bad. It's not bad to be promoted at work. It's not bad 
to further your education and, and get a degree. It's not bad to save and be wise with your money. But when we have other things that we can point to and say, I did that. And that thing then becomes the source of our peace, our joy, our hope, our, our, our rest, our sense of being okay. We've actually start finding that our identity is in those things rather than being a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And, and that fox can be so subtle. Because here's the thing. God wants you to do good things. He wants you to achieve things. But that fox can sneak in and begin to shift your identity from him, your security from your relationship with him, to those other things. So that when all those other things eventually crumble, you're left hanging and you're left swinging in the breeze and wondering what happened. Where did my peace go? Where did God go in all this? The third affection fox is people who steal your affection. Classic example of this, I'm sure those of you who have been around church and seen youth groups and all this stuff, is that guy or that girl, that young, young man, young lady, who's just on fire for the Lord until they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And then where are they? They're not spending time in prayer. They're not, not spending time with God anymore. They're barely turning up to church. That's, that's, the most, that's the most overt that's the most overt example I could give you of just like people, you know, you come into a relationship with them and all of a sudden, bam, you're, that person's heart is no longer with the Lord. It's with that person. That person becomes the source of their joy, the source of their peace, the source of their happiness. We tell, we tell our kids that when they grow up and get married, they have to find somebody who loves Jesus more than anybody else. Um, but that's not all that it looks like. A less classic example in your life is the type of people who when you hang out with them and you're around them, they actually make sin, they actually make the world, they actually make things that aren't from God seem far more pleasurable, far more beneficial, far more good than what they actually are. I had a friend, I had a friend, I, I, I'd been saved, I, I don't know, we're, we're going back early days now, but I was, I was maybe a Christian for maybe two years at this point. And I had this friend, we used to hang out all the time, wasn't a Christian. Um, and we were like really good friends, hang out all the time, used to love it. But this, this thing would happen, it's like whenever we'd hang out, whenever we'd hang out, I'd feel like, oh man, you know, my affection for God and things like prayer and spending time with him and going to church. Like that would begin to really wane. And I would begin finding myself really wanting, you know, worldly success. I begin finding myself wanting to do all these worldly things because that's what my friend was into. And you see, it, it, it's subtle. It's not like my friend was necessarily just a, like an awful person who was like coming in, you know, with a, you know, a mustache and a, you know, and a top hat, you know, a little, you know, little, little uh, cigarette going, hey, let me lead you off into sin and worldliness. No, 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 no. But he was in love with the world. And by me having that close relationship with him, at my time, at that time, and with where I was at with the Lord, it was affecting my heart. And causing me to want to be in love with the world too. And I remember, I remember one time I was in prayer and the Lord spoke to me quite clearly. Dealt with me quite clearly. He's like, I want you to break off that friendship. Right? Which is a weird thing, you know. Because like, you want to be friends with people. You want to love people. You know, lots of stuff. But God's like, I want you to break off that friendship. And I didn't do it. But the Lord did it for me. Um, <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you, Lord. But, um, but yeah, that's what it can look like. Is when you're hanging around people. And for whatever reason, when you come away from it, 
you feel like your heart is just not as warm towards God as what it used to be. People who steal your affection, those little foxes. The last category of foxes, and, and by the way, this list is in no way exhaustive or definitive. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about certain things that aren't on this list, please don't feel excused because I didn't mention your thing. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Defiling foxes is the last category I've got here. These are foxes that bring shame, guilt, and trauma into our hearts. The first one is this tragedy. I've just given it a blanket tragedy. This can be loss of a loved one, a cataclysmic life event, or even abuse. The characteristic of this fox is that it wasn't necessarily your fault it got into the vineyard in the first place. You know, you were careful to put up boundaries around your vineyard. You were careful to have fences. You didn't invite this fox in, but this fox was so big and so powerful, it overwhelmed your defenses, and now it's in your vineyard. So maybe it wasn't your fault, but now it's in your vineyard. You have a responsibility to do something with it. Does that make sense? You have a responsibility to do something with it. And this can be tragedy. So, so cataclysmic events, um, loss of a loved one, uh, abuse. Oftentimes, tragedy can cause us to question God in the wrong way. I'm all for asking questions of God. But we question His goodness. It causes us to put distance between us and God. And in that process, in that process, what the enemy begins to do is he begins to separate you from the flock. He begins to separate you from your shepherd and makes you even more vulnerable to spiritual attack, makes you more vulnerable to being picked off. <clears throat> so you didn't let the fox into your vineyard, but it's there now, and it needs to be dealt with. The second defiling fox is disturbing material. Disturbing material. This can come in a variety of ways. Just checking the room for children. All right, <clears throat> this is not just, I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm talking about TV shows and movies that we watch, uh, books that we consume, content that we ingest, and that contains material that is disturbing to our spirit. That contains material that is disturbing to our spirit. The goal of it, the goal of it is to get you covered in spiritual filth and make you less sensitive to Holy Spirit. The goal of it, so, so this, this can be, different people have different levels of sensitivity, all right? You know, for some people, they can't sit through movies with swearing in it. It just, it just, it's like grating in their mind. For some people, it's, it's violence. For some people, it's lewdness or, you know, I was going to say use your imagination. Don't use your imagination. <clears throat> but that sort of content. But I'll, I'll give you an example, just from last couple of weeks of, of something that I experienced. You see, when I was, before I was a Christian, like late 90s, I was really into uh, a lot of music that was very dark. Um, <clears throat> and I saw, I saw some YouTube video come up, and, and it was some vocal coach, you know, critiquing some of the vocals of one of these songs. I was like, oh, that'll be interesting. I remember this song from back in the day, you know. And I began listening to this song again that I used to listen to. I used to listen to the, the whole album 
and multiple albums, multiple times a week. And as I'm listening to this music, the, the lyrics and the, just the tonality of the song itself, I feel like this, this darkness, this, this, this almost like this cloak of, of ich begin to settle over my head. And I'm like, huh. And I begin to remember what it felt like back then when, when, when I used to live in that. And I realized this, this music is it's not neutral. This is actually defiling me. And what, and what it's doing is it's, is it's trying to get me to accept this defilement in order to dull my senses, to dull my senses so that I can't feel it anymore and, and leads to worse things. Disturbing material that can come in all sorts of ways. But its goal, its goal is to, is to dull your senses. And this is why Paul will say, whatever is good, meditate on these things. Let those things fill your mind. Let the things of God fill your mind and fill your heart. And the last one I've got here is intentional sin. Intentional sin. It's the most serious of all because intentional sin intentional sin is a deliberate act of rebellion it's unlike other foxes it's unlike other foxes who may have snuck in through perhaps ignorance may have snuck in even with good intentions you know like we talked about you know like the ambition or you know doing good things and getting stuff done you know that you know sneaky little fox might sneak in this is not a sneaky little fox this one is not one that's done in ignorance Intentional sinning is like calling up Foxes R Us and saying, hey, I've got a vineyard problem and I need you to deliver a box of foxes here to come and take care of the vine for me. It's an intentional destruction of the relationship. It's an intentional destruction of, of the relationship. And, and the relationship that God has always wanted is one that, that is, is characterized and, 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 and looks like that of the intimacy that comes in marriage. That closeness of relationship, that's the kind of closeness that the Lord wants. But when we go about intentionally sinning, doing things we know that God does not want us to do, and yet we go and do them anyways, it's a deliberate act of rebellion. In the Levitical sacrificial system, there were sacrifices for everything. Right? There was fellowship offerings. There, there, was, there was free will offerings. There was, there was sacrifices in, if you would accidentally sin. You know, oh man, I did this thing. It was an accident. I need to go and bring my offering before the Lord in order to, to come back, to, to demonstrate that faithfulness, to come back into relationship with Him. Once per year, they'd have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where, where the high priest would sacrifice, would sacrifice a goat on behalf of the people. And, and that was there to, 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 to cover over their sins, to cover over and cleanse and remove their sins from them but within the Levitical system there was no sacrifice for intentional sin because the intentional sin is you making a definitive statement about the state of the relationship that you have with God you know uh, Philippe was was joking before um, about a lot of stuff and um and and I'll give you an example so Philippe and I are friends right now I unintentionally sin against Philippe all the time because Philippe loves good communication and he loves it when people respond to messages and emails. I'm really bad at all of that. And so I unintentionally sin against my brother all the time. Now, he's very gracious. He's very gracious to me, right? 
and I want to be better. Like I said, I want to be better. I want to be able to cultivate that relationship and not always set offenses before my brother. But that's a whole different kettle of fish from me walking up to Philippe and just punching him in the face and going, I hate you. You see how that vibe is different? It's a bit of a different vibe. That's what intentional sin is. That's what intentional sin is. And if anything was going to put distance between you and the Lord, it's that. So this is what foxes are. Now, what are we to do? What are we to do? <clears throat> reason why I feel like we're talking about this, this, this morning is because we need to have just a reminder, a, a regular reminder that our relationship with the Lord is not static. It's not static. You know, I, I remember hearing this analogy given by a, a preacher. And he, saw, he said, you know, your relationship with the Lord is like rowing up a river. You know, as you pursue your relationship with the Lord, it's like you're going up the river. But the moment you just stop, the moment you stop paddling, you begin to, even if it's ever so slowly, begin to drift. You begin to drift back. We call it backsliding. You begin to drift back. Now, does that mean that God's love for you has changed? No. It means His grace for you has changed? No. Does it mean His intentions for you, His desire for you to prosper, His desire for you to flourish, His desire for you to bear fruit, has that changed? No. But the reality is we're living, we live in a cultural stream that runs contrary to God's designs, that runs contrary to God's heart. And unfortunately, one of the things that we need to remember is that our relationship with the Lord is something that is cultivated. It's not a one and done. You can't just come to the front. You can't just sign a card. You can't just say, I'm in, and that's it. It's something that's cultivated. Just like all good relationships. Just like all good relationships, they're cultivated. So how should we respond? Well, I, think, I think the way we should respond is this. Firstly, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. I want you to realize just how important this actually is. Just how important it actually is that we maintain a cultivated state before the Lord. That, that, that we actually maintain the state of our heart. So that it's soft, that it's tender, that, it, that it's listening to the Lord, that He can feel free to prune us where He desires to prune us. And we're not bringing things into our relationship with the Lord that's intentionally hampering the fruitfulness and the growth that He would like to bring in our lives. So the first thing is, remove the foxes. The Lord would say to you this morning, remove the foxes from your life. You may find that there's lots of foxes in your life. There's lots of things that are eating at your relationship with the Lord. There's lots of things that are getting in the way. There's lots of things that are hampering. I would say with the leading of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to begin to remove them. Don't get frantic. Don't panic. Simply go to the Lord and ask Him which ones need to go first. Which foxes need to go first? What are the things that are in my life that are holding me back from you Lord, what are the things in my life that are holding me back from the, the, the fullness of the relationship with you that I could have? The fullness of the relationship that you desire to have with me. And don't be surprised 
don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit actually begins to highlight things that you really like and you really adore. Because some of us have pet foxes. Foxes we really like to have in our vineyard because they're cute and they're cuddly and we like them. And we're just certain we can have enough control over these foxes. We just let them nibble a little bit of the vine. We let them eat a little bit of the fruit, but not so much that we're uncomfortable with it. Get rid of your pet foxes. Second thing is to build a fence. Be intentional that once you've got a fox out of your vineyard, that you set clear boundaries to stop it from getting back in again. To stop it from getting back into your life. If it is a person, if it is a person, and, and please show great wisdom and discernment. Please don't go out of here and go, I don't like you, so the Lord told me to cut you off. Don't do that. <clears throat> but are there things in your life that you're like, I just need to, you know, I need to cut that off completely. I need to set a hard, clear boundary between me and that thing. Otherwise, that fox is going to keep coming back and keep coming back. Setting up routines and disciplines that will help you to guard your heart. Having tough conversations with people who are not good for you. Finally, step three, set up a watchtower to keep a lookout. Foxes are sneaky. Be willing to humbly be willing to humbly self-examine, go before the Lord about it, and also have good people, have good people who love you, who have the best, your best interests in mind. Let them into your life. Let them have a look around your vineyard. Let them see if they can spot any little signs of fox nibbling. And let them help keep watch over your heart as well. Because one of the things about community that's supposed to be getting cultivated is, is, is our intimacy with the Lord doesn't just result in intimacy with Him, but it results in a closeness amongst all of God's people. It results in a closeness amongst all of God's people. So catch the foxes. Remove them from your life. Men, you know, oftentimes, you know, I, I mentioned it like tongue-in-cheek, a bit joking at the, at the start that, you know, reading Song of Solomon or Song of Songs can be really uncomfortable. You know, it's fine like if that's like a romantic relationship between Solomon and his, and his bride like back there, but then to, to enter into that place of, of closeness and intimacy with the Lord just often makes us feel uncomfortable. And I think one of the things that God wants is for men to really come into that place of closeness with the Lord in a way that they have not done up until now. I see it so often in husband and wife relationships. Not all of them. Not all of them. If you're a man here, I, I take this seriously. But a lot of the time, husbands will leave the spiritual stuff to the wife 
They'll leave the softness and the tenderness before the Lord stuff to their wife. We're just about getting stuff done. And the world needs your strength, men. The world needs your strength. But God wants to deal with the men at a very deep heart level. He wants to bring you into a place of closeness and, dare I say, intimacy with him. Intimacy with him. And there's a lot of stuff in the hearts and in the lives of men that prevent and block that intimacy with him. It's like a, a river that's flowing. It's like a river that's flowing. It's our relationship with the Lord is like this, like this stream that is flowing. And, and so often, especially when I know for myself, because this is something that God has been dealing with me, is like dredging out this river, is that, is that oftentimes we can get sediment, we can get debris, we can get sticks, logs, all this sort of stuff, and it begins to settle on the bottom of the river. And even though our relationship with the Lord might be okay, the water might be running clear, it's just not as deep as what it could be and what God desires it to be. And it's time, men, for you to begin dealing with the issues of the heart. And the way that's going to start is by you going to that place of prayer, by going to that place of deep worship, that place of travail, that place where you wait upon Him until He begins to move upon your heart. There's been too much time, too much time given to little foxes who have stolen the relationship from the Lord that He desires for you. worship team to come back. If you could stand with me. <clears throat> um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. And, um, and what we're going to do is Hannah's going to lead us in worship. And this is a time for you to respond. This is a time for you to respond. Now, I, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit has gone well beyond my words. A lot of my words have just fallen to the ground because they weren't from him, but that there are things that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to people's hearts, and he wants you to respond. I don't need you to come down the front. I don't need you to raise a hand. I don't need your response, but the Lord wants your response. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do in response, I want you to do it now while we worship, while we come before him. Where there's been foxes in the vineyard of your heart. I want you to give them up to the Lord now. I want you to give them up to the Lord in repentance. Where there's been sins, when you've been living, where you've been living in intentional sin, sin you know is breaking your relationship with the Lord and you continue in it anyways. 
I want you to come and I want you to offer it up to the Lord. I want you to confess that sin, that its power over your life might be broken. In John, 1 John 1, it talks about if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God holds no grudge against you, but He wants it gone. So I'm going to pray. If you need prayer, please come forward and receive prayer from the prayer team. And we're just going to worship for a bit. Lord, we... Lord, I ask... I ask for a greater measure of you. I ask for a greater closeness with you. Lord, I confess where I've had busyness, when I have allowed other things to crowd my time, when I've allowed fear, worry, and anxiety to shut down my heart. God, I repent of that. Forgive me and wash me clean. God, where I've loved other things more than you. Where I've loved achievements more than you. Where I've found my identity in anything apart from you. Even ministry, Lord. Even being a pastor, Lord. God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I just want you, and I just want to want you. God, purify my heart. 